All right, we're continuing on in our series, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and we are going to read from Hebrews 11, and uh, 1 through 3, and then we're going to drop down and read about Sarah in verses 11 and 12, and then we are going to read the account of, of Sarah as she enters the scene in Genesis 16. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. It'll be on the screen. And again, I'll be starting at Hebrews 11, reading the first three verses and then dropping to 11 and 12. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 reads, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then drop down to verse 11. It says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was a good was good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, there's no way to count them. And then if you turn to Genesis 16, I'll read that. Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, mistreat her mistress, Sarah, with content. Then Sarah said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road of Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well... So that well was named Ber Adi Ri, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kedesh and Berad. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. A brief prayer. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit that illuminates the scriptures to us, Lord. Will you prepare our hearts to receive your word? Will you reveal to us the same truth 
a new truth, but it is your truth, Lord. So I pray that you use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't, I don't. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. What a story, huh? Yeah, you may shake your head and think, whoa, that's... What is going on here? Didn't God just make a promise and a covenant? And now we're reading what? I think the, what we see here really is one of the hardest things as humans that we have to face. And that is that dirty word, waiting. Waiting. Or perhaps in this case, what we've seen, God, I'm going to help you help me. Help me help you. Help me help me help you. But waiting... And waiting tends, at least in my life, and I would suggest in your life, waiting tends to be the real test of our faith. Yes, when there's persecution, yes, when there's hardship, that that tends to obviously be a struggle in our faith. But I think waiting can do something that is a slow fade. Because when something awful happens and it's all of a sudden and you get that call and it's really hard and then you go into flight or fight mode or whatever your response is, there's this adrenaline boost, there's this, this I have to respond and, and then it may be hard over some time. But, but when you're waiting, it just appears that if you're not careful that it is a slow fade from center. And it sneaks up on you really quick. It's really the test of faith, I think. And I would suggest that we don't mind waiting as long as we are given an end date and a specific time. Tell me the deadline. So I wrote down some times or throughout your life that you probably share. When you go to a restaurant and the hostess says, it'll only be 10 minutes. If it is 11 minutes, I cry. I'm so angry. You said 10 minutes. And I know that they're supposed to say 15 minutes. So that way, whenever it's 10 minutes, you're overjoyed that they had compensated your five minutes. Or perhaps some of you, whenever you ask your husband, when, what time do you think you'll be home? And he says around six. And if you're a wife like, if you have a wife like mine, she knows that could be between six and 7.15. But waiting... Or perhaps you're waiting for a promise, or you're waiting on someone. We're okay if we know exactly when. If you're waiting in line at an amusement park, or to go to the movies, or opening of a book, or whatever it is, you don't mind waiting as long as you know at the end, when you wait, you will get what you're waiting for. And perhaps the worst is when you are promised something, but there is no end date. And I think perhaps that may even be the worst of it all. Someday I will. And you just want to know when. And then we get in trouble when in our minds we put these arbitrary time or end of time or by this date. Especially when we do that to God. When we say, all right, God, this is your time frame to do a miracle. Anything after that is not acceptable. Now, we may not exactly say that. But we think that it, it, I, whenever we set up this time, this, this artificial time, this end date, 
Um, and we get so disappointed. And, and we've really seen that before over and over again. So I, I, I know I refer back to this as whenever POWs, prisoners of war, were captured. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. It's, it's James Stockdale. He's, he was an admiral that he was, in, uh, he was kidnapped and, or captured in Vietnam. And he was a prisoner of war for seven and a half years. And only three of the 12 who were captured, survived, and they asked him, why did you survive? And he said, I did not tell myself when I would get out. He would, and then he would go on and, and, and explain. He said, those who said, we'll be out by Christmas for sure. Christmas came and it went. We'll be out by the new year. The new year came and it went. We'll be out by the 4th of July. It came and it went. We'll be out by Thanksgiving. It came and it went. Another Christmas came and went. Another new year, another. And he said, one by one, those who set up when exactly they were going to go home were disappointed and ended up dying of a broken heart. But I think that's for prisoners of war. But I do think prisoners of war for Christians here on earth, if we set this time of this is when God's going to answer, even he's never given us a time, that becomes that slow fade where we slowly start to mistrust God. Or, for those of you who can't sit still, try to help God out. And that is a classic case of what we see with Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to keep calling them Abraham and Sarah. I will touch on their name change, so I won't be a heretic anymore. But Abram and Sarai. So let's just pick up where, where we're at. We are 10 years from the promise of a child, of descendants, and a promise of land in a great nation. Last week we talked about the covenant that, that God entered in with Abraham. And he did the ceremony, had the animals cut in half, and God said, I'm going to walk between this and I'm going to enter in. And we discussed last week how Abraham didn't even sign the covenant, if you will. God signed for both him and for Abraham, saying... I am so good at keeping my promises, I'm going to sign on your behalf. This past Thursday, I was at H Street Ministry again, and I gave a little sermonette of what I had preached Sunday before, and I had mentioned, imagine if someone signs on the, you enter in a contract and someone signs both for you and for somebody else, and someone yelled out, that's illegal, they can't sign my name. <laughs> yes, you're right, but God can sign your name. So then I changed it, and, and I said, well, imagine if someone put down the down payment for your car and made the payment. And that same person said, no, that's more like it. <laughs> if you don't go to H Street Ministry, I highly recommend it. It is, it is a blessing for sure. You could talk to the crosses, cross, those people over here. I don't know if they're crosses or cross, the cross family, right, Nick? <laughs> Nick even helped me out with that, and I blew it. Those people over there behind Natalie. But it's such a, it was such a great moment because I was thinking, yeah, it's, it's a deposit and the, and the payments thereafter. That's what God is doing. So he makes this huge production, if you will. And the very next thing, we turn the page and we read in Genesis 16, I'm going to help you help me, God. We did read, we are now on Sarah 1, the first part of Sarah 1, part 1. And, and, and what we read from Hebrews is it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. 
Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. But what we read is she didn't believe or she was unsure. So that's what I, I want to pick up. And one of the themes here that I want to point out that just to discuss a little bit is there's no shortcuts in our faith. We can't cheat it. There's no microwave or Instapot. It's, it, it's a crockpot. Our faith is slow. It, it's a smoker. Not, not, you know what I mean. It's smoking me. It, it's slow process. It's a marathon. That, that's what Paul says. I should just stick with what Paul says. It's a marathon. But what we tend to do is exactly how I pretend to run long distance. I run a half a block really fast. Then I walk forever. Then when anyone sees me, I sprint real fast again. Start second win at a corner. And then when I'm right at home and I know Natalie will see me, I sprint real fast like I'm the hero. But that's kind of, if we do that in our, in our walk with God, then, then what we're doing is we're trying to take shortcuts and we're pretending that we're something that we're not. And really the other thing is, first, there's no shortcuts in our faith. We'll see that. And then also, the worldly ways of achieving God's promises are not acceptable. And that's what we see that Sarah suggests. And up front, before I even, just in case I forget, I, I want us to remember at no point during the times of sin that we've seen in Abram's life and Sarah's life, at no point did they ask God, what do you think? And that's when we get in trouble. And I know I probably said that three times now in the series. But the good, the bad, and the ugly, it gets ugly when we forget God. They didn't ask. So when, this, when the Lord gives this, this sure calling or this vision, it didn't happen fast enough. And it's easy to default back to the old ways or the brain level ways. And I truly believe that Sarah truly wanted to help. She was at her wits end and she thought that it was her fault that Abraham couldn't have a child. And, and one thing though, and to consider as we get into this, not everything makes sense or logical sense following the Lord in the moment. But one of our biggest mistakes is when we try to reason things out and it doesn't make logical sense. But how many times you go back and you, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you're like, oh, that makes complete sense because God is a God of order. So let, let's look at this from Genesis 16. So there's this big promise in, ver, in Genesis 15, this covenant that's made. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. But just briefly, Hagar comes because, remember one of the oops sins that they made is God told Abraham and, and Sarah to move out of the land and I will show you the way to go. They move out, then there's a famine. Without consulting God, they run down to Egypt. He lies, this is not my wife, don't kill me, she's my sister. And then all of a sudden the Pharaoh finds out because God speaks to him. He kicks him out, but he gives him lots of things. And one of the things that he gives them is Hagar. It's, it's interesting how one sin, if not dealt with fully, can come back and creep up late years later. We're about 10 years later. Hagar is now serving as an Egyptian slave to them as a servant. So in verse 2, it says, Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Stop there. Sarah assumed the reason why 
they couldn't have children was her fault. Well, to be honest, at this time, anything that happened within the family was always the woman's fault, by default, no matter what. It was considered a curse or you're living in sin if a woman could not bear children. The gods, if you will, were preventing childbirth. Obviously, that's not true. But the problem here is she assumed it was all of her fault that the Lord had prevented her from having children. At no point did God say that. He never even said, you won't have children. He, just, he said, I promise you children. It's not happening soon enough. They're waiting. They're getting impatient. One of the other reasons why I think we get impatient in our waiting is we do look around and think, well, I did make this proclamation and people are expecting me to fulfill this. You know, I'm going to go off to college and finish in four years and you're six years in and you're thinking, oh, what are, I'm tired of waiting. What are people thinking? Now we're going to have a children. God, I, at some point, I'm sure that Sarah and Abraham had been telling people they had all the servants. They're very wealthy people. We can't wait. One day, God is going to give us a child and year and year and year pass. So Sarah's saying, it's obviously me. She goes to Abraham and say, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And that's very accurate. In this time, in the, in the Old Testament times and well into the New Testament time, if a slave had a child by their master or even by their husband, it was automatic property. That child was automatically the property of the owners. So she is saying... Go sleep with my servant, and perhaps I can have a child through her. We can have children. And what does Abraham say? What does Abram do? He says, no, Sarah, I don't think that's a good idea. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. Let's do it. So Sarah and Abram, Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Waiting 10 years for a child would be a very long time for a promise. It's, it's, it's a long time when those who are trying to have children and they can't. It's, it's hard whenever you're waiting to adopt a child and it takes so long and you have a child in your hands and the birth mom, dad, decides not to. It, it's heartbreaking. This is sad. This is hard. So in the worldly wisdom, this is totally acceptable to do, so let's do it. But how many times have you tried some worldly wisdom that was socially acceptable? There's nothing wrong here. There's nothing illegal here because God isn't doing his thing. Hurry up, God. All right, obviously, we're going to have to make wise choices. This is a good business economic choice. So they do it. So verse 4, Abram sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. So, looking into that word contempt, we know that word contempt, she was messing with her, avoiding, or, or just making her distrust her, uh, picking on her. But really, I, I think perhaps if we look at what the uh, Hebrew is, it's flaunting. It's flaunting. So, in my, the way that I picture things in cartoons, anytime Sarah walked by, Hagar was rubbing her belly, sticking out her tongue. That's how I picture it. She was really just rubbing it in really letting her know, this is my baby. But remember what Sarah had said, she's going to have children for me. So in verse 5 through 6 is a classic couple fight. Let's read it. 
Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. So who's wrong here? Both of them. A quick note, too. Some commentaries argue whether or not um, Hagar was in favor or not, if she was raped or not. There's not any evidence either way. It's, my assumption is, is since she was a slave or a servant, she knew that this was potential. Actually, all servants knew this was potential. Um, I'm not suggesting it was right, but Hagar had no voice in this. That's why later on, whenever Moses is giving the decree about um, how you should live within your family and there's multiple uh, wives and everything, and then eventually we get to when you're a king, kings were only supposed to be the man of one wife, and then King David lots, Solomon lots, and it just goes downhill from there. But that was also to protect the concubine and everybody else. But back to the, the couple fighting. This is all your fault. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And then Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Essentially, he says, uh-uh, you figure it out. She's yours. And then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. But do you see that? And, and this actually, I think, leads back to what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve Eve is the one that is tempted by the serpent. And then she's the one that goes ahead along with it. Now, Adam is totally wrong too. He was there. He watched it unfold. And then, then when God asks, what happened? Why are you naked? Then Adam says, well, this, it, look at the woman you gave me. It's your fault. Don't say that to God. But, but what we see in the garden and ever since then is a typical sin that can take place is the wife tries to rush the situation and the husband throws up his hands and says, I don't want to deal with it. You see that? You could see that over and over again. You could see that, that, that over and over again, the, the part of that, that curse that happened within sin is, is that, that Eve and then the women following afterwards is trying to do something, take control of the situation. And that's why we see lots and lots and lots of men just throw their hands up and say, you deal with it. That may not be in your home, but I would strongly suggest that you know lots of people that that happens. And really what it is, is it's both of their fault. It's not Sarah's fault alone. It's not Abraham's fault alone. It's they both agreed. Then Abraham said, you deal with her. But here's the interesting part. Whenever he said, you deal with her, essentially he gave all power to Sarah. And Sarah eventually, we'll see next week, she's going to fully release Hagar. She runs away. Hagar runs away in this chapter. But she's fully going to release, which also means she's fully releasing Ishmael to be the actual heir of Abraham. Because at some point, Ishmael can come back and say, Dad, where's my inheritance? We see this with the prodigal son. Where's my inheritance? But technically, when she releases him, and I'm getting into the weeds and stilling for next week, when she releases him, he's not the heir. Now, I'll talk about it in a moment. This is the struggle between uh, Christians and Muslims and Jewish and Muslims, who the true heir is, but we'll get to that. So anyway, so they're arguing and in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And then Abram said, She's your servant. You do what you want. 
So Hagar runs away. Verse 7 says, Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road of Shur. This is the first time we see the word, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord shows up to Hagar. And he tells her to go and return. And then she goes back. And there's this conversation that takes place. And he tells her in verse 9, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And she does. And she does. And then he says, and then he goes on, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now he's making, now God is making a promise to Hagar. It's not your fault. And I'm going to give you descendants. And you are to... You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard you cry of distress. And in verse 12, this son of yours will be a wild man, an untamed wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives, all of them. Each and every one of them. And, we'll, and you will see this. We can see this all throughout history. That, that, that birth line from Ishmael is a very violent group that fights everyone. And that's the conflict that we see in the Middle East still to this day. And then Hagar uses a Hebrew word to call God. Have I truly seen the one who sees me in verse 13? says, the well of the living one who, who sees me. She recognizes who God the Father is through this angel. So it gets weird. It's, it's the first blended family. It's the first awkwardness. It's, now she has, has to go back. And, 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 and really, if we go back, I, I, my heart breaks for Sarah because I see that she just wants to help. But there's one thing, again, to note. Again, she says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. And one of the reasons why she has so much disdain for Hagar, instead of her just rubbing her belly and rubbing it in, is what does that mean since Hagar got pregnant? In her mind, it meant the reason they can't have children is because of her. Because if it was Abraham, then Hagar wouldn't be pregnant. So I think in this, and this is not an original thought, just studying through this, I do think that part of this is Sarah wanted to help, but also Sarah wanted to confirm that it wasn't her fault they weren't having children. Now, I think that is a a quality that in all of us, I would suggest, we don't want to be the cause of failure. We're so scared of that. And the reality, what we'll see is eventually she does have a child and it wasn't because she couldn't. She just had to do that waiting. And that waiting is a slow fade away. It, it's, it's, this, it's this, God has promised something. When is it going to happen? I'm assuming it's going to happen sooner. If this doesn't make sense. Let me help you, God. I mean, even in the parable of the sower, we read how the seed that fell on good ground would bear fruit or become productive, but it would bear fruit with patience. Ooh, another dirty word, patience. So the best way we can come to be a productive person for the Lord is exhibit patience. If God has given you a calling, if he's given you a vision to serve him in some specific way, 
and we're running as hard as we can to get there, then we need to remember that, that we need to lay aside all that weights us down. In Hebrews 12, 1, the sin which doth easily beset us. I memorized that in King James, that's why I'm saying it. But this the sin that, that holds us down. But we must run with patience. Going back to my silly illustration of me running and <laughs> running. It, it's, it's the patience. It's that shortcut into our, our walk with the Lord. We can get so disappointed when the numbers don't come in as we expect or the results don't come in as expect. And we can say, I expected better. I expected more. I was hoping for more. For Abraham and Sarah, I was hoping for this child. I mean, we're going to have descendants. How can we have descendants if we only have to wait and we don't even have children? We just want one. One of the Psalms that I, I go to, I, I didn't tell the team in the back, so I won't be there, but 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Delight in the Lord. A lot of times we just cross that out and say, God will give us the desires of our heart. Or in Matthew, first seek his kingdom. We don't like that part. That's, we want the shortcut. We, just, we want what we want. But taking delight in the Lord is enjoying the process. That's so hard to do. The hurry up and wait. All those oxymorons. And it's also a reminder, too, because at this point, what we're seeing is the good, the bad, and the ugly of the heroes of our faith in Abraham and Sarah specifically. And what we are seeing is that past obedience does not carry them beyond the moment that they're at. But we have to continue to be obedient. And, and the good news is they will be obedient. So part of the key here. And some of the questions that people may ask that I have been asked about this is why didn't God just send Ishmael and Hagar away and we wouldn't have to deal with the Muslim nation or the nation or the Arab or whatever the nation is? Why? Why is it? Why didn't God deal with it? The, the thing is, is God cares for all people no matter what their birth situation is. It's so important to remember that. Ishmael is not the son that was promised but he is still a son of Abram. So it's this whole desire to just to get rid of the problem. No, God wants to save the people in the problem. And that should be our focus in our heart too, is to preach the gospel, to reach those that are less than us. And that is the reminder. Because going into a rabbit trail, because I love them so very much, and someone here gave a wonderful presentation who likes rabbit trails too, so... I won't say your name, but God bless you. I identify with you. But one of the things, too, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed, too, is, is what we'll read later on. Well, we won't read it in this series, but if you go on and follow those little reading guides, it will tell you what happens to Ishmael. Ishmael and his, and his mom head back to Egypt, and then there he gets an Egyptian wife. He's going back to his heritage, kind of, because Hagar is Egyptian. Her da his dad is almost Jewish because the Jewish nation hasn't been set up. And then it's through his descendants that one of the pharaohs come and puts the Israelites into captivity, but it's also the ones that God uses before he brings them out in the wilderness to finance the wilderness, which ends up financing the temple. So why did God keep this, keep Ishmael? First, he is a person, but second, he used that nation 
to teach Israel a lesson and eventually bless the nation. That's mind-blowing, that God can take our mistakes and still use it. One of the saddest things, and I know that I say this often, but one of the saddest things that I see is whenever a Christian makes a mistake or sins or blunders or messes up, and then they take themselves out of the game permanently. It's like you're in basketball and you miss the shot, so you tell the coach, I'm going to sit on the bench for the rest of the season. Well, why? Why well, miss the shot? Join the club. No, 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 I'm not good. And, and there's a couple of reasons that I, I think this happens. One, and not for missing a shot in basketball, but whenever we sin, whenever we just blow it, that also means we have to repent. And we don't like that. That can be hard. That can be embarrassing. That can be a difficult situation. That, that, that means I have to admit. The other one is I'm embarrassed to go back out there again because what will people say? One of the best advice that I ever received early, early on when I was entering in the ministry, I had not preached a message ever, not taught a Bible study ever. It was my very first one. I think I told you the story. The very first Bible study that I taught, someone threw up. So then another person threw up. So my very first Bible study is people threw up. And I was like, oh, never again, never again. And I was feeling pretty low. But, but before that all happened, the, the youth pastor at the time who asked me if I would be willing to teach. And I said, yeah, I hope this is good. And, and he said, hey, I want you to know you're going to study. You're going to work hard. We're going to go over it. And you're going to do your best. But if you totally bomb... That doesn't mean you're not called to this. It means you bombed. He did not tell me about the throwing up part. That would have been nice. <laughs> and I thought, never again. It would have been so easy for me to just take myself out and say no. But everyone made fun of me the next time I taught. How many people are you going to make throw up this time? Like on, and in my head the whole time I was thinking, I was more concerned about the people than what God had. And we can get caught up in that. How many people showed up? How many people listened? How many people responded? Did people like it? But part of that is, is we could just take ourselves out. But what, the main reason I see why Abraham and Sarah are in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith is because they believed. Not perfectly, but they believed. And when they blew it, they fixed it. And they surrendered to God. And it's just to, just to know that God can still use you even if you blow it, even if you sin. Yeah, there's consequences, obviously. Yeah, if you're looking to be a pastor, you can disqualify yourself to being a pastor, whatever. But there are consequences, but God can still use you. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if anyone in here has disqualified themselves. But if you go back to the covenant, God signed his name for him and for you, and you are saved. So just considering Ishmael, just a, just a couple more things. I had mentioned it. He has 12 princes. They go on, and we can get into all that that means and the Muslim's point of view. But yet God still uses them, still uses the mistake, although people are not a mistake to bless this great nation. And yet God is still faithful. So the good, the bad, the ugly, the good, just quickly turn over to Genesis 17. Well, I just want to touch on two things about changing the name here, and then we'll 
see the blessing. Another mistake here. So in Genesis 7, 17, verse 1 through 6, this is where God changes their name. So it says, when Abram was 99 years old, let's stop there. It's good to read only a half a verse. 99 years old. So at this time, Ishmael is probably around 13, 14 years old. So that much time has passed. That much time has passed. Now the Lord appeared, not the angel of the Lord like he appeared to Hagar, but the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Abraham or Abram, you're not out of this yet. It's not based on you, buddy. It's based on me. He said, I will make a covenant with you. He's doing it again, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. I will no long, you will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. So 12, 13, 14 years have passed. God comes back and says, dude, bro, we're still in this together. Like, don't worry. I have made a promise, and I am really good at keeping my promise. I'm going to make you a great nation, your descendants to become a great nation, and you will be the king. And instead of calling you Abram, I'm going to call you Abraham. Drop down to verse 15 of Genesis 17. He does the same thing to Sarai. Verse 15 says, Then God said to Abram regarding Sarai, Your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, for now... On her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. I have this pretty cool little graphic to look at real quick just to explain what's taking place here. So here is Hebrew, just just so we know. Hebrew, we read it from right to left. At the top there, it's Yahweh or Jehovah. The Jewish people never said God's name with the vowels because they didn't think that they were worthy, so they call God Yahweh or Jehovah. And that what you'll see is that H-E-I at the very top is Cha, which is the letter H, but Cha, it's pronounced Cha. And look what he does to Abram and Sarai. He adds Cha into it, Abraham, that's a ch sound, and he does the same thing for Sarai, Sarah, that ch sound. Now the H in Hebrew means that ch, which also means the Holy Spirit, which means breath of life. What did God do whenever he created Adam? He breathed into his life. He breathed his spirit into him, the Holy Spirit. So what he's doing, he's making a covenant with Abram and Sarai, making them Abraham and Sarah, he's, he's putting in his spirit. Now, part of the covenant that he's making, and we didn't cover circumcision and all that because that's the mark of the flesh, but this is the spirit, this is the soul. He's breathing the Holy Spirit into Abraham and Sarah. And what we'll see is that they become perfect. No. 
But what we will see is now that once we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit since Pentecost, we are his. He is in us. Greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. He's breathing the the, the power of God into them to be able to do that. And that's what he offers those of us who become believers. Isn't that beautiful? He breathes in his spirit into his people. Now, if you want to just get really nerdy, I know it's 11, but really nerdy, the string theory, one of my very favorite things, I don't have a picture, one of my very favorite things is at the smallest level that people can see is the string theory and the atomic le- level level of all creation. And they're either an X or a Y, a cross or a Y, or a circle. And they all vibrate at a frequency. And if you measure the frequency of the string theory, it says Yahweh. Everything God created, he put his name on. That's beautiful. So you can go be a nerd and look up string theory on YouTube and enjoy hours and hours of fun. But what you'll see is God speaks into existence. So it's not that he speaks Abraham and Sarah into existence for the first time. He just reminds them that he created them. So this, so this name, so Sarai means princess, but Sarah means noble woman, noble woman of a great nation. And Abram means exalted father. Can you imagine your name being exalted father and you walk around 75 years without a kid? He changes his name Abraham, adding that H means he's the father of the multitude or chief of the multitude. He is the king of the descendants that God will use. So it's part of taking delight in the Lord, as Psalm 37 verse 4 says, to to take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. So part of taking delight in the Lord is waiting on him. So if anyone in here is very impatient and wants God to hurry up and do a thing or someone else to do a thing, are you delighting in the Lord in the waiting? If you are troubled by your waiting, I would suggest you are not delighting in the Lord. What does that word delight in the Lord mean? It means to come and rest and enjoy his presence. It means to enjoy the creator of the universe, not just the gift giver. You know, I, I, I tell the story. I, I remember so many times I run into my grandparents' home and I grab the cookies grandma always freshly made and then I had to be reminded, go thank grandma and give her a hug. I loved the cookies more than grandma for a long time. I really did. And so she didn't make them anymore and say, well, give me a hug. And then I realized she always smelled like cookies. It was wonderful. But... <laughs> But just being there, just I enjoyed, I started to enjoy, and, and that was a great moment, and I was a little kid, and, and God puts that on my mind in that way, and I'm not saying my grandma was God, I'm just saying it reminded me, do I enjoy that presence, do I enjoy that time? A couple of things, if you are not delighting in the Lord, do you pray to him without asking for stuff? Do you spend time in his word Do you put time frames or restrictions on God? Delighting in the Lord. Delighting means you are not in a hurry to leave. And that's what devotions with the Lord can do. Checkbox, checklist. Uh, In the back of your seats, you'll see, uh, like I had mentioned again about the reading plan. I almost didn't create it because I was afraid for anyone in me 
in here like me, like, I read it, 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 hurry up and read it. If you're listening it to on the Bible app, you speed it up so that way you finish it really quick. Because some days it takes 40 minutes to read all of the scripture that I gave you. But if you delight, you don't want it to end. And here's the thing, too. Put a little timer if you want to and see if you ever beat your timer. See if you ever are continuing to read your timer goes off and you're disappointed. That's how you know you're delighting in the Lord. And I'm not saying set it for an hour. I'm saying set it for three minutes. If you're a 30-second reader, set it for three minutes. And eventually you'll get to the point where your alarm will go off, your little buzzer will go off, and you're like, oh, man. It's just like whenever you have to leave somewhere fun. You close out a restaurant and you think, that went quick. That's how you delight in the Lord. And really what we see here from Abraham and Sarah, they're trying to help God out, but they're not enjoying him. They're not enjoying the process. And I am speaking for someone who likes things to go a little quick. That's why I like cars a lot. You go a little quick. So take time this week to delight in the Lord. Just one quick note. I always have to put a disclaimer. If setting the timer freaks you out, don't do it. I know some of you will do it, and then you'll just stare at the clock and go back and forth and... It goes off and you're disappointed. Just whatever it is that you really enjoy, think back to a time that you really enjoyed the presence of the Lord. Don't necessarily recreate that. You won't be able to. But what was it about God? We're going to receive communion here. Um, You are invited to uh, participate and uh, receive communion if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, The guys will pass out the elements. We'll have a couple of songs. I'll come up and lead it, and we'll receive communion together. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for your love for us, and thank you for the fact that um, you love us. And Lord, help us not take ourselves out of the game, out of the field, out of the, the walk with you, out of the march, out of serving you, Lord, because we've, we've blown it. We've, we've sinned, we've fallen short. We all have, Lord. Lord, thank you for the reminder through Hebrews 11 that um, you're faithful even when we're not faithful. And each and every one of these people that we read about were not perfect, yet they kept coming back to you, Lord. And Lord, will you help, help us delight in you in the waiting And even whenever we received whatever that blessing was or that promise was or what we had hoped for or prayed for, let us delight in you more than that, what we received, Lord. Lord, let us believe in that first part of Hebrews 11, that um, faith is the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see. Through the, the faith, the people of the days of old earned a good reputation because of the faith that the entire universe was created and formed by you. At your word, Lord, you spoke breath into everything you created. And then the promise of your Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us for those who believe that, confess that we are sinners, that Jesus is our Savior and he died on the cross for our sins, Lord, and we have that gift, Lord. Lord, let us not blame other people for what's going on in our waiting, Lord. Let us just delight in you. So Lord, we're thankful and prepare our hearts to receive communion as we sing a couple more songs to you. You are so worthy and you're you're glorious, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.